All right, welcome everybody. Great to have you with us today and want to say a special welcome not only to our Henderson location, but a shout out to Central Summerlin and Central Sunrise Mountain, to our Central Kingman family, to those who uh, are watching online and joining us there, and those who are uh, experiencing Central in our partnership with God Behind Bars and different prison facilities around the country. Thank you guys for being with us. Hey, we have got an amazing kind of summer coming up here at Central, and I'm excited about the fall, just looking out. A few things I want to let you know about. In a couple of weeks, we're going to kick off a brand new teaching series through the summer. We're going to look at the book of James. I think it's going to be super practical and important uh, spiritually. So if somebody wants to give it up for that, I'll take that. That's good. That's going to be awesome. That's coming up. And then uh, and when we hit August, I'm going to be doing some teaching in the book of Acts, and we're going to learn some things from the early church community. I think it's going to be really powerful. In the fall, we're going to kick off a teaching series called All the Feels. And we're going to talk about how you can live from the inside out. And I think that's so important because how you handle your feelings, <laughs> right, Drake, in my feelings, how you handle your feelings is probably the single most either limiting or empowering factor in how far you go in your life and leadership. Fair? So we're going to dig into the Bible and uh, get some great insight for how we can manage our feelings moving forward. There's some great stuff coming up, but I'm excited today to jump in to 101080 with you. Now, Ariana Grande um, had a, uh, a song that became a number one hit called Seven Rings. Anybody, some of you know this song? Anybody heard it? A few of you? All right. Uh, she had some relationship drama in her life, apparently, and um, she took her seven best friends for some retail therapy to Tiffany's, and she wrote a song about it. And so here's how it goes. Don't worry, I won't sing, but I will rap. Just wait for it. Yeah, breakfast at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles, girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble, lashes and diamonds, ATM machines, buy myself all of my favorite things. And then the little rap part, my wrist, stop watching, my neck is flossing, my big deposits, my gloss is popping, you like my hair, gee thanks, just bought it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. I need to apologize to all the true Ariana Grande fans out there. Just forget you ever. Try to unwire that if you can. Um, I want to hone in on that last line because I think that last line is one of the biggest challenges we all face when it comes to financial peace in our lives. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. And that might work for Ariana Grande, but for the rest of us mortals on a limited income, that can become a real challenge, right? And so I didn't learn this lesson at Tiffany's, but I did learn it. And one of the first times I learned it was right out of high school. I was playing in a rock band, was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was working at this water park called The Beach, this sort of um, uh, uh, big, like, wet and wild kind of place. And so I wasn't making very much money, but I fell in love with this truck. This truck was amazing. This truck was white with these cool decals that looked really awesome back in 1989. It had tinted windows. Like, 
if I had that truck, man, I was going to be happy. If I had that truck, things were going to come together in my life. We could put all our band gear in that truck. Heck, I could put band members in the back of the truck. I could drive people wherever they needed to go. I mean, I just came up, and this is what we do, isn't it? I came up with a million reasons why I had to have this truck. And so I walked into a car dealership making barely minimum wage with no money down, and I walked out with the keys to a truck and 17% interest on the payments. And when I went and called my dad and told him, he's like, you bought a truck? You know, he's like, what, what are you doing? He goes, he goes well, what, what kind of interest rates you get? I said, oh, I think it's like 17% or something. I don't know, my dad was like, I raised you better than that boy, you know? But that truck became a noose around my neck. Ever, anybody had this experience in your life? And those payments, I mean, it was cool for a few months, but it just went on for years and years and years paying on that thing and trying to manage the pressure of, uh, of what those payments meant. It, it was a huge like thing around my neck. And I think that's what often happens in our life. So the whole idea of I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it, that's great for a song, but in real life, we gotta use some wisdom in how we roll that out. And so we've been talking about 10, 10, 80 and about kind of how we can manage finances in our life. And if finances are tight right now in your life, um, I think the temptation is to say, I need more money. I need to get a raise, I need 10% more, I need to take on a side job, I need you know, to work over here. And certainly if you're partially employed or you know, if your income isn't even at a level that can sustain life, you know, that obviously may be what you need to do. But for most of us, I think we will, if we're honest, we would say the real issue is probably not income, it's spending. At least for me in my life, I, I was at one point working three jobs, running myself into the ground, doing everything I could, right? Trying to earn more because just to pay all the bills and keep it all going. But in the end, like it was all going right out the back door. And I finally had to realize we had, an, we had a spending problem more than we had an income problem. And if we got the spending problem under control, man, it could bring a lot more peace into our life. And so I wanna to talk to you today about how we can kind of get a handle on some of the spending decisions we make so that we can spend in a way that will bless you rather than break you. We wanna spend in a way that will bless you rather than break you. Now, let's look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes today. We're gonna look at, uh, Ecclesiastes is often sort of noted as being um, written by Solomon, the wisest man you know, to ever live, the, the, one of the wealthiest men to ever live, had incredible money, incredible influence, uh, all of that. And here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning in verse 10. This guy knew all about money and what it meant. And so when we get to the red word, help me out here. But Ecclesiastes 5, 10, he says this. Those who love money will never have enough. <laughs> now that's just, that's something you could put over the bathroom mirror, right? It's not that money is bad. We've been talking about how money is neutral. Money can be a great tool. It can be a blessing, right? But if you love it disproportionately then to what it is, then you'll never have enough. And then look at what he says, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. What I think is fascinating about that is that's a statement made thousands of years ago that is actually backed up by the latest happiness research that's gone on in the last 20 years um, that psychologists and others have done. The happiness research says that once your basic needs are met, food, shelter, those kinds of things, there's no correlation between how much money and how much wealth you have and how happy you are. 
No, and so, that, you know, here's Solomon telling us, right, thousands of years ago, I guess we didn't need all that, we just need the Bible. I'm just saying. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And he says this, the more you have, the more people come to help you what? Spend it. Now that's a fact, right? The more you have, here they come, right? The more people come to help you spend it. So how do we sort of manage money and stuff in our life in a way that leads to greater financial freedom? That's what we've been talking about. That's what I want to continue with today. And so first principle is this, to simply spend less than you earn to spend less than you earn. I saw this uh, image on uh, social media. It was uh, a guy who pulled into his driveway and when he pulled into his driveway, he looked up on his porch and this is what he actually saw. Can you, can you imagine some of you? He's like, oh my gosh, you know, and his, his wife was home. He's like, what has she done now? Well, apparently uh, she had been collecting all the Amazon boxes from the whole year and then borrowed some from friends and this was April Fool's. <laughs> so she put it all out there. Just, he was shook, you know, <laughs> you know, just at the thought of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it, spending is so easy to spend, isn't it? One click, you just, you know, one click thing here, one click there. I don't even, you don't even think about it sometimes. You know, they just, um, everything's gotten automated and gotten so easy that really quickly we can get ourselves into trouble. And so it's not uncommon for people to spend every cent that they make and for them to borrow even more that they don't have, right? So that they can cover all of their bases. So this is really basic, spend less than you make but I almost feel like we need to just say this to ourselves again and again and again in our culture. Spending less than you earn is the path to any sense of financial peace in your life because it's the path that's gonna allow you to start creating some margin in your life. And we all come at money from different perspectives. I don't know how you were raised, but I, I, I would say the home you were raised in shaped you, right? to a significant degree, and then just genetically, your wiring shapes you to a degree when it comes to money and stuff. So Lori, Lori was uh, kind of always the one in her family that spent, you know, if she had money, it was gone, right? You know, if there's sales, there's things you need, you can't ever have enough shoes, these kinds of things, right? And so, you know, money would spend. Now her brother, Sean, was super frugal. He's tighter than tight, man. You think he's tight, he's tighter than you think. Sean had more, Sean had enough money for a down payment on a, probably a house, but for sure a car by the time he got out of high school, you know, like he just saves money. He's really good. So Lori, her whole childhood, she would just go to Sean and work her brother and get a loan, get some cash fronted. He'd give her IOUs, whole deal. So that's sort of how she came up with money. Now I was raised by parents who were older. So I have a, a brother and two sisters that are significantly older. Um, my brother's 17 years older than me. And then uh, my, my, the youngest sister's 13 years uh, older than me. So when I was born, my brother was a senior in high school. So my parents who've passed on at this point um, were what we would call depression era parents. I mean, my dad told me stories of growing beans in the alley, you know, behind this little shanty that they lived in. And that was how they ate. You know, when Christmas came around, there was no gifts. You made your own toys and shared them, you know, with one another. So there was almost like this palpable fear in my family, my entire childhood of not having enough. I mean, just, it didn't matter 
the fact that my dad had his own business, that he had done really well, you know, that he had been very frugal. You know this generation, right? Like they were so marked by the depression. I mean, my, I asked my dad once, how did we end up in this particular city in Texas where I was raised? How did we end up here? He said, well, I asked my dad where I should move. And my dad told me, well, you should go to this town because the food lines were the shortest in this town during the depression. And that's why he moved there. I'm like, okay. Not what 20-somethings are thinking today when they try to figure out where to move. So I grew up in a home where there was this sense that there may not be enough. Well, that affected me, you know? So I'm pretty good at saving, but I can be um, disproportionately sort of tight-fisted about stuff in my life because I can start thinking there might not be enough. I, I do this with everything. I even do it with, my son thinks I'm crazy. I do it with cereal. You know, I, I come up to, you know, I like a certain kind of cereal and I come up to the cereal and I'm like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I just want to make sure we, we have, an, I really like this cereal. It's good cereal, it's, it's low carb cereal, people. And it's, uh, you know, it keeps you, keeps you steady, right? Like it's, it's good. But because it's not always available, when it's there, I kind of go crazy for it. So all I'm saying is I was raised with a certain framework that I have to learn how to manage and push against. Um, and Lori was too. So in our marriage, you bring all that together. If you're married right now, you know what I'm talking about, right? You bring all that together. So Lori will nickel and dime us into the poorhouse. A little sale over here, a little thing over there. Oh, you know, sales, right? We're saving money, you know? And so we buy, buy, buy these little things that it just doesn't even add up to that much, right? She's, she's the queen of uh, hitting the thrift stores and she's got all these cameras that don't work that cost 50 cents. And I don't know why we have them, but we have them and there's more coming. And they're like decorations and all this stuff, right? Like she, you know, and, and I can get really frustrated by that. But I can hold on to money. I don't, I don't go around. I don't nickel and dime. I don't get all that. But then I see a guitar that costs three times as much as all she spent all month. And I'm like, hey, I need that. <laughs> so, you know, I, we all have our temptation areas. We all kind of have our triggers. And this can be a challenging area. So we've been talking about 101080. How do we... How do we manage the stuff in our life to lead to more financial peace? And um, let me just review this again. We've talked about this the last couple weeks, but I've got a dollar bill up here that just represents like all of your income. And 101080 is just this proven plan that is sort of based on biblical principles that believers have used for generations to help them manage stuff and money in their life. A 101080 just very simply says this, that you take the first 10% of all that God gives you and you give that back to him. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to go back and watch that message. It's called the tithe. But the point of giving back to God, it's not because the church needs money. It's not because God needs money. God doesn't need money. That's a ridiculous statement, right? He's God. But God instills the principle of the tithe so that we will put him first in our hearts. The tithe is something we need to engage in for us spiritually. And I've found in my own life that 90% with me and God is more than 100% on my own. So this is your giving power. Then last week we talked about your saving power. 
trying to get to a place in your life where you're putting back, you know, at least 10% of your income for the future, for needs, for dreams, for, you know, whatever you want uh, and whatever you need in your life, and then learning to spend uh, on the 80% of what you actually earn. And I know, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, this probably sounds crazy. And I know you're like, there's no way we can even do that. But I'm telling you, if you get intentional about it, if you start taking steps toward it, this is something that is possible. And if you do it, through the course of your lifetime, you will create quite a nest egg for yourself and for retirement and for the future. Um, you know, there's a lot of research that's happened over the last 15, 20 years on millionaires, uh, especially millionaires in America. And the research is kind of interesting because four out of five of those millionaires were not born with money. They came from nothing. And they earned that money themselves. The average age a person in our country becomes a millionaire is 62. So for the majority of us, yeah, there's a 20% factor there that are trust fund babies and just have money and all that. For the majority of, uh, of people that have amassed over a million dollars in their life, it's been built slowly over time. And for many of us, if we're ever gonna have savings in our life, it's gonna be built slowly over time. And so they, the interesting thing about these millionaires is they had different income levels, but they had similar spending control in their life. Um, for instance, they talked to uh, some of these millionaires and they asked, uh, how much uh, is the average amount that you've ever spent on a suit, right? The average amount was like four or $500. Um, these are millionaires. They could go buy a $2,000 suit, right? But the average amount was four or $500. They said, what, what kind of cars do you drive? Well, they're driving Fords and Hondas and Toyotas, a sort of middle of the road cars. And they're driving them for like 10 years, right? Driving them into the ground. They could have afford to go out and buy more, but that's how they became millionaires. They didn't do that, right? They made that choice. It just kind of reminds you that you can act rich or you can be rich. You know, <laughs> and a lot of the millionaires in our country, they don't flaunt it. They're not, you know, they don't, because they made those, they found that the majority of millionaires still had a spending plan, a budget that they lived on in your life. You're like, they're millionaires. Why do they need a spending plan? Well, that's how they got there and that's how they'll stay there, right? Is they've, they've learned to manage things. And that's important because a lot of times when things are hard, the temptation is to think I've got to play better offense. And I love offense. I mean, who doesn't love offense? Offense is awesome. I love the Dallas Cowboys. We're gonna have a killer offense this year. I've been reading all about it. It's getting better. We got Jason Witten back. We can dump the pass off now. Dak's gonna be throwing bombs. It's gonna be awesome. I'm believing. I, I, watched, I watched the Golden Knights. And uh, man, I love it when the offense is on fire and the puck's moving down and we're on their side of the deal and right, taking shots and like, yes, do it. I love offense. But offense doesn't win games if you have absolutely no defense, right? Because you can't outscore, you know, a horrible defense. You've got to have at least some semblance of a defense to hold it together. And then, of course, there are the diehards that say, no, no, defense is what wins championships, right? Defense is what makes it happen. Well, think about your financial life. A lot of us, man, we focus all on offense. We're hoping to get, move up, get more money, get a raise, right? Advance, climb the ladder, and I hope you do, but it won't make a bit of long-term difference if you don't don't figure your defense out first. 
Got to play some defense. Defense is boring. You know, Mike Bodine around here uh, at Central, one of our pastors is a huge Bears fan. Any Bears fans? I know, we're, I know it's not really football season, but I'll just... Yeah, so, you know, like, the Bears are the most boring team in the NFL to watch year after year after year. They're all about, like, defense, bore yourself to death, you know, like... And you just watch them grind these teams down, you know. How many points they score? Three. Bears fans are like, yeah, yeah, defense. Defense isn't fun, but it's important. And I know talking about money stuff and spending and saving, that's not a lot of fun, right? But it's important. It's defense, and we need to play good defense in our life. Spend less than you earn. It's the path to some semblance of financial peace in your life. Here's another thought, and that is to just use debt cautiously. Uh, use debt cautiously. You know, we live in a debt sort of driven culture and you've probably received an envelope at your house that's not unlike an envelope that I received at my house uh, that gave me this amazing once in a lifetime offer. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Judd, these people know me. You're smart, you're confident, you're successful. Man, yeah. You're about to become as giddy as a kid in a candy store. Wow, okay. In light of your established history, Judd Wilhite, we would like to offer you, and then they offer me this line of credit. We know. We know that you will make your payment on time. You will keep your balance under your credit limit and you will not have any payments returned. Judd Wilhite, they say. You're gonna get transfer services absolutely free. The lowest fixed rate in the nation and pay no interest for 90 days on every purchase, every time, forever, because you deserve it. Yes, I do. <laughs> Plus there's more good news. Every time I spend $1, I earn two membership reward option points. I don't even know what those are, but I earn them every time I spend a dollar. And best of all, listen, there's no limit to the number of points that I can earn. You would think they would put a ceiling on it, but no, every time I spend another dollar, I'm earning two more reward points. Wow. Then on a separate sheet of paper, in very small print, because it's obviously not very important, very small print, you know, it uh, mentions that if I forget or fall behind or fail to make my minimum payments, the rates could change a little bit on this card. But hey, that won't impact me because I'm smart, I'm confident, and I'm successful. I mean, I told you last week, I got into some trouble uh, as a young family starting out with credit card debt. and just got over my head fast. And uh, I understand the pressure of that. Some of you feel that pressure right now. Some of, you know, some of you feel a little hopeless anytime we talk about money because it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to think. It's like that, that closet in your house or your apartment where you just throw all the junk in. You know what closet I'm talking. Some of you, it's a bedroom, but we're going to go with the closet, right? You know, you, you throw all the junk in that closet, right? And then you kind of open it up and you're like, no, I don't even want to look in there, man. Like, that's just a mess, right? Sometimes we feel that way about our finances and we don't want to deal with them because it's going to be hard. 
but just like a moment of loving truth with you today. I'll tell you what's hard. What's hard is worrying about finances 24-7. What's hard is always being broke. What's hard is always living in fear when the phone rings that the creditors are calling and that people are coming to get what's theirs. What's hard is hiding from the repo man. So it's hard to get a spending plan. It's hard to use debt cautiously, yes, but it's hard to not get a spending plan. It's hard to, so it's gonna be hard either way. If you, if you take on the hard of working a plan and getting a plan, it's gonna help you get out of some of the situation that you may find yourself in. We live in a debt-driven culture, but we just need to, and debt isn't wrong. It's not wrong to borrow. It's not wrong to, uh, to um, use the resources that are available to you, but we need to be cautious about it. We just need to use it cautiously. Here's what Proverbs 22, seven says. Proverbs 22, seven, the rich rule over the poor and the what? Borrower is slave to the lender. And some of you are thinking like, that's a little harsh, man. Slave to the lender. But miss your payments for a few months and we'll see how you feel about that, right? You know, like when you owe somebody, and not that all debt is bad, but when you owe somebody, they own a portion of that relationship. You're indebted to them. And uh, it's part of why the Old Testament gives us a lot of sort of wisdom around not loaning our friends money. You know, you loan your friends money, now it changes the, some of you have done it, right? And then they don't pay you back, and now you're frustrated, and then it starts to affect the friendship. So it's just, the principle from a biblical standpoint is just to use debt wisely, uh, to be cautious with how we manage it. And uh, I encourage you to look at last week's message because for those of you that feel overwhelmed with credit card debt, I talked about Dave Ramsey's baby steps for how you can get a debt snowball going to start getting some positive things happening in paying down some of that debt and moving forward. Third uh, thought for the day is simply this, to spend for value, um, to spend for value in our lives. So here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, to just sort of boil it all down, Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning in verse 19. He says, it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. Uh, that's, that's important. All this talk about money, I, I hope you don't get the wrong idea about me. I hope you make a lot of money. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have fun with it. I hope you travel. Hope you get to see friends. Uh, you know, like all of, I'm not a miser. I want people to be blessed, right? And wealth, I believe, is a gift from God. God isn't broke, right? God's got everything. So wealth is a gift from him. So the writer says, hey, first of all, if you can have what God gives you and actually enjoy yourself, that's the win. Then he says, to accept, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy, what? Enjoying life that they, have, that they take no time to brood over the past. So I think God wants us to enjoy what he's provided for us in our lives. So this framework of taking the first 10% of what you earn, giving that to God, taking the second 10%, investing that in your future, and living on the 80%. It's not a framework that says you can't have fun and you can't enjoy yourself. I just encourage you to spend for value. A lot of times in our culture, we're tempted to spend for status, right? Spending for status is something else. What's the old saying, you know, you, you buy things with money you don't have to impress people you don't like, right? That's spending for status. You know, 
But I think it's way more important to spend for value. And that's why a spending plan is so important because you determine what God's values are. You know, you learn that and then you determine how, as you pray it through, what your values are as it relates to that and things that are most important to you. And you try to tell your money as much as you can where it should go rather than just letting it go there. And so you want to spend for value. If you value travel, you may get to a place where you have less of a mortgage or, you know, you live in a smaller place, but you save your money and you travel. You're spending for value for what you you value in your life. That's all part of enjoying God's good gifts in your life. And I also think what Solomon is getting at in Ecclesiastes is just this idea that you don't have to have it all to get the most out of life. You don't have to have it all to get the most out of life. So much of life is really about simple experiences. I don't know if you've sat outside in the morning early as the sun's coming up recently. I'm a morning person. Some of you, I know that sounds like really bad mojo. Or watched a sunset go down, same principle. (laughs) Man, it's glorious. I've been doing it every morning, just sitting out with a cup of coffee. Sun's coming up slowly. I'm just taking my little version Bible on my phone, going through the Psalms, read a verse, pray a little about it, think about it, read another verse, just sitting out there. It's been one of the most relaxing things that I've done in a long time. And you know, every morning I find I wake up and my first thought is like, oh, I just want to go sit outside and just you know, take in the cool of the morning. That's a simple pleasure. That doesn't cost anything but it's powerful, right? And I think when it comes to our spending decisions, you can have a lot of stuff that you know, ultimately doesn't matter, or you can make sure that what you're spending on is what you really value in your life and enjoy it. I love what this uh, Nebraskan uh, monk wrote at the end of his life um, about the journey of life and kind of what he'd do different next time. It's been around for a while, but I still think it's a great reminder. He just says, if I have my life to live over again, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. I would relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I've been on this trip. I know of very few things I would take seriously. I would take more trips. I would be crazier. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I would do more walking and looking. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who lives life sensibly hour after hour, day after day. I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead each day. I've been one of those people who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a raincoat, an aspirin, and a parachute. If I had my life to live over again, I would go places, do things, and travel lighter than I have. I would start barefooted earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would play hooky more. It's only for adults, kids. I wouldn't make such good grades except by accident. I would ride on more merry-go-rounds, and I would pick more daisies. You don't have to have it all to get the most out of life. You can spend on what's valuable. You can learn to be content. We said last week, look, wealth, wealth will not make you content, but contentment can make you wealthy. 
And if you find that place of contentment in your life with God, with what he's doing in your life, you're positioned then to start finding freedom in your financial life. And it is possible. And we celebrate today because we talk about debt and some of you are overwhelmed in debt and you're trying to deal with debt. But ultimately, we got to hang on to this. When Jesus died on the cross, um, he uh, said, it is finished. It's one of his last statements that he made from the cross. That phrase has always fascinated me because it's a phrase that they found in the ancient world was written on like grocery store, the ancient version of a grocery store debt. When the debt was paid in full, it was, it was that phrase Jesus spoke. It is finished. It's paid in full. And I think the message to us is, hey, maybe we've made a mess of things right now, right? Maybe we're not even sure how to move forward. Hey, I want you to know Jesus has already paid in full for your sins and mine. He loves you and he can forgive and restore and move. Things are not hopeless and it is not over. You have a father who's watching your back. So just trust him and depend on him. Start taking some baby steps to give. Start taking some baby steps to save. Start taking some baby steps to play defense a little bit with what you're managing. And I believe you'll find God showing up and moving in that. And if things feel hopeless right now, if you'll do that for a few months, things are going to start feeling a lot more hopeful. In fact, I would tell you, if you start doing it today, things will start to look more hopeful even today because you're starting to work some kind of a plan. And that plan can lead to freedom. Well, I'd love to pray for you. So would all of you please bow your heads and close your eyes. And God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for each person here today. I pray you'll move in their heart and life with all of us. God, help us enjoy what you give us. Help us celebrate you in our lives. Uh, help us be generous back to you and to others. And uh, I just pray this week, we laugh a lot. We love open-heartedly and we experience your joy. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, hey, next week, I'm excited. I'm going to be diving in with you as we look at one of my favorite stories of Jesus ever, the parable of the talents. And we're going to be talking about finding your purpose and really using all of your life for the glory of God. Make sure to be here next week. But at this point, I'm going to throw it over to our location pastors who are going to talk us through some final thoughts. So let's give it up for them. <laughs>